I would say that I am probably the prince of pivoting. <laughs> this is the Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. If Matthew Celestial has a life mantra, it's likely focus on the wins. A shy kid who came out of his shell in public, Matthew often found himself at the center of the group, uniting friends under a common love for TV and film. But it was his passion for the stars that led him to attend university to pursue astronomy. The cosmos, though, they had other plans for him. An encounter while on a practicum led him to make a connection that changed his life and opened the door to a career in public relations, first for Paramount Canada before eventually striking out on his own. We recently spoke with Matthew about his journey into the world of PR, the challenges of keeping up with the ever-changing media landscape, dealing with difficult clients, and he shares some tips and tricks for individuals looking to start marketing their brand. Here's our conversation with Matthew Celestial. Matthew, let's start by talking a little bit about, you know, growing up in Toronto. Like, what were you like as a kid? What were you into? What was it like there? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up on the outskirts of Toronto in uh, in the suburbs called Whitby. And, um, you know, I think like, you know, my experience in just growing up, you know, immersed in pop culture, I've, I've always been intrigued by what was, what was going on on television, um, really trying to draw audiences, um, or particularly my peers to whatever I was doing. And I was, I was typically, you know, a very, very shy individual, but when it came to social scenarios, like being on a swing or in the playground, playing grounders or whatever, you know, I was the type of person who really typically would go and invite everyone to play with, um, with the entire crew. And, and so this sort of really, you know, um, was driven by my curiosity for a lot of things. So I had such deep interest in so many different things from, you know, pop culture, uh, film and television, cartoons, to even just astronomy and, and chemistry. I was this really intrigued um, individual um, in terms of, you know, I was intrigued by sort of the curiosities of life. Any questions that you might have about life, I probably asked them and I probably never got an answer. And did that drive kind of what you wanted to be when you quote unquote grew up? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of a lot of you know my life experiences have really influenced um, who I am as an individual today in my career. And you know, I was interested in, as I mentioned, pop culture. So I would I would typically you know be that kid that watched MTV when I probably shouldn't have, um, and also you know um, as well. Uh, I had this deep passion for writing and originally I thought I would be the editor-in-chief of like Elle Canada. Those are big goals. I love it. (laughs) 
But like that never happened, you know what I mean? And because I fell into PR, which was this sort of different world in this different universe of of just um, of what it's like to pitch ideas, right? And being on the other side, or as what my colleagues would say, the dark side of of sort of journalism. And I think it really worked out well for me because journalism is a sort of is this really disciplined area, um, and I was never good with deadlines. So, and I think you and I know that. <laughs> I mean, even before you came into PR, because I think that, you know, I don't think anybody kind of grows up and says, I'm going to be a PR person. That's just not how so I sure. see this coming. And your 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 um, road into uh, PR is really interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about how that even started? Because this was not your in- initial goal. I mean, the L was, you know, one thing, but you actually pursued something else quite seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, again, as I mentioned, um, it really was never in the books. I don't think anyone, you know, you have the typical like suspects of careers as a kid, right? Which is, um, you know, to be a doctor, lawyer, or um, teacher, or, you know, if you're like me and was brave enough to tell people that you wanted to be an astronomer as well, <laughs> an astronomer as well, that was also in the books, you know, but then I guess, you know, for me, I, I actually, um, you know, I went to university and I originally was a chemistry major and it was a series of sort of, I guess, um, unsuccessful lab experiments that had really resulted in my decision to say, okay, I got to pack this up and call it a year and maybe switch programs. And so I ended up in the book and media studies program at the University of Toronto and I graduated as well as minoring in um, writing and rhetoric and as well as environmental policy, which were were all very much writing courses. And as well as um, a lot of my um, I guess I would say projects and essays were deeply rooted in public relations. So um, that's sort of how I fell into it. And as well, in the process of changing that program in my first year of university, I took an elective course that actually prompted me to volunteer for a social justice organization. And I ultimately um, ended up working with this film festival on campus at the University of Toronto. And my supervisor there told me, hey, we need someone to do PR. Um, and he looked around the room and he pointed at me and he said, Matthew, you're going to do it. And I didn't know what PR was. And that was the beginnings of my PR career because, you know, I had the sole responsibility to, I guess, um, wrangle people. And I mean, if you met me in my first year of university as a chemistry major, like I was like used to being isolated and reading my chemistry textbook and not talking to people at all. Um, so one day, um, I was asked to, uh, prevent people from taking photos at this event, which is like a very weird request by the filmmaker, but we had to do it nonetheless. Um, and I had to pull a PR stunt and I was like, you can't take photos. I kept telling people angrily, you know, no photos, no photos until one day, um, or until, you know, someone in the crowd had, um, they emerged from the line and they were like, oh, are you the publicist? And I was like, yes, I am. And she gave me her business card and she had worked for a film studio and um, she was looking for an assistant. And that's sort of how I uh, fell into this career where she had referred me to another studio and I, and I ended up working at Paramount Pictures Canada. I'm curious if anywhere along the line, anybody said to you, 
this is crazy. You should just pursue science. <laughs> this PR thing is just insanity. You know, I think at, at first, like even when I was going through the interview process, which was a journey um, because I had mixed up the, my, the numbers. Um, and so the address was completely, I was looking for a non-existent building. You know, I had mixed up the numbers of the Paramount Pictures Canada office. And at the time I didn't have data. So I was like running up and down, you know, University Avenue looking for this building that didn't exist. And I was calling, you know, all the people on my phone because I didn't have data. I couldn't go and look, look it up. And they, you know, my, my friends are like, are you sure this job exists? You know, and like, what are you talking about? Why are you, you know, you're a chemistry major, you have a chemistry exam. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, luckily enough in, in the midst of my, um, I guess I would say, crisis I had realized that I had mixed numbers up and I found the building and I ended up going to the interview and I got the job after being one hour late which I do not recommend at all but I think like throughout the process of my career um it has always been this very this gray area you know what I mean like um just my entire life I had this deep interest I was sort of you know on track to being this chemistry major um potentially you know becoming either a professor in chemistry or or working, um, I don't know, somewhere in chemistry. I don't know what I thought, but, uh, but, you know, you find yourself throughout this process of uncertainty. And I think that's what I experienced a lot was that actually in those moments of uncertainty in my PR career, that was when I was able to reestablish myself and my career. Can, can we talk a little bit about that and this idea of taking chances? Because you've been taking chances like the entire time, right? I mean, you, you take this chance of trying this new thing in college because it kind of speaks to you. And, and I get the sense that you follow your gut a lot. Mm-hmm. Has that been something that you've had to develop over the years? Or have you always had that feeling that, you know, you can trust yourself and, and, and take that chance because your insides are telling you that this is the thing to do? <laughs> That's such a good question. And I think that, you know, in my experience of even just, I think like it's, it was a series of unsuccessful lab experiments, really, you know, spilling sulfuric acid or whatever chemical that was on my shoe that like my, you know, I remember my classmates really making a big deal out of it and me going home and being like, this is it, you know, I'm done. Um, And I think really, you know, um, with that process of of just uncertainty, you kind of experience those moments It kind of reignites and, and, manifests again into your life um you know maybe just not chemicals in my shoes anymore but rather you know maybe a horrible PR campaign or an upset client or a client who's having a crisis you kind of have to sort of lead yourself through that process and and so I think there you know in this type of career you kind of have to hold other people's hands but at the end of the day also hold your hand to make sure that you can lead yourself so that you can lead other people too and and that's what PR is right is that our goal is to help get the message out there and as well as represent the people that we we represent the brands and and the organizations that we represent to ensure that we're accurately promoting and protecting their brand um, I want to come back to this idea of PR in general, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about, you know, the progression of your career. So you you end up at Paramount Canada. Where do things go from there for you? You know, so at Paramount Paramount Pictures Canada, we, I worked in publicity and promotions and, you know, I primarily did a lot of the marketing, uh, the field marketing for um, 
for a lot of our theatrical releases. And so we often worked on, you know, two to three, sometimes three films a month. Um, and with that process, you know, you weren't working on the same film. You know, one month you'd be working on, you know, SpongeBob, and the next you'd be working on Interstellar, which is a sci-fi film. And, um, or, you know, maybe it's paranormal, paranormal Activity the next month. So you're working with a lot of different um different films and different audiences that you were promoting and and that was sort of like my um my boot camp in PR you know because I had to learn about how to adapt to different media outlets that we'd reach out to and as well as different audiences and types of promotions that we'd be engaging in but one of the um in particular one of the projects that I absolutely loved was actually the animation uh feature films and so when I worked on Spongebob um, that's where I actually engaged with a lot of the folks in the animation community. And, um, and during one particular event that we, that I had gone to, um, you know, a, someone had come up to me and, and they said, you know, who's your PR agency? Uh, we're looking for a new PR firm. And that was when I, I basically told them, Hey, like I am actually starting my PR firm next week. Let's meet for, let's meet for lunch. And, um, and I ended up working with, um, the Walt Disney Studios, Eric Goldberg, and as well as the Toronto International, Toronto Animation Arts Festival International. And it was this whole whirlwind of just beginning my PR career and launching what was now, or what was then called the Matthew Celestial Public Relations, MCPR. In that process, like you've now been doing this for a little while, but when you decided to launch and you actually now have clients, did you ever... Or, and maybe you still do. Do you ever think of imposter syndrome? Do you do you ever feel like this isn't quite real? This isn't right. I shouldn't be here. <laughs> I think that you know, imposter syndrome again, as I mentioned, it comes up in in so many um, in so many ways. Um, I think like it was definitely predominant when I began because I was so used to having this, the studio name behind me and also, as well as having, you know, colleagues and the boss sort of holding my hand whenever there was a crisis. Right. Um, but through, you know, and then all of a sudden I was on my own and, you know, I'd be calling reporters and they would be like, what's your client's name? You know what I mean? And like, you know, and oftentimes I was working with a lot of clients who were really trying to build their brand. And so imposter syndrome back then when I first started was definitely at the height of its core, but you know, really what I've experienced, um, in the past has allowed me to sort of gain this, I would say, you know, comfort in that discomfort, right? Um, I, I feel today I don't experience that, that imposter syndrome. And when I do, I, I sort of sit with that a little bit and ask myself where it's coming from. And oftentimes it's because it's a different environment. And that's when I sort of reframe sort of my thoughts and, and actually look at it as more of an exciting challenge as opposed to, oh gosh, like I don't deserve to be here. Because I think, you know, especially with my team members, I, I often encourage my junior team members as well to sort of, you know, sit with that discomfort and sort of the challenges of the job and actually try to, to grow from it because you can, you can achieve so much. And so when we, when we reframe the imposter syndrome to be something more of our, I guess, um, a catalyst for professional development, that's when you get to achieve the best things in life. 
That's so amazing. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, growing your team? You went from just yourself and now you have an entire team of people. How, when did you sort of start bringing people on and when did you realize that you needed extra help? For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, you know, when I started, I was living above a restaurant and um, I was the intern. I was, you know, the executive director and I was, you know, the manager. And really, I did every single thing from, you know, all the, the client meetings to pitching press all the way through to compiling, you know, press clippings. And um, I think like, you know, my decision to to grow the um, my team really is deeply rooted in terms of, you know, I, I guess I had this, um, the, the privilege to sort of have, you know, um, clients that really required bigger campaigns and clients that grew with me, um, you know, since I began. And, and so it really came to a point where I actually needed to hire an assistant. And then that assistant became, you know, a publicist and I had to hire another assistant to support the team. And so it was really great to sort of see that growth and and to continue seeing that growth as a a PR firm. And I think um, asking for help um, was something that I had to learn. Um, And that was the next challenge, I would say, in starting the business was, was then now having to sit with myself and say, um, okay, now I actually need help. And, and I think like, you know, entrepreneurs have difficulty asking for help sometimes because it's your baby, your business is your baby and we do everything we can to protect it. And so, you know, part of that is, is actually trusting people to believe that, you know, this baby, you know, this business that is your baby is also your team members baby as well. I think this is a fascinating segue into this idea of, you know, having a PR person, because a lot of creatives are often, they don't know kind of where to start with that. Like, when do you know that, you know, you need to ask for help because you want to grow yourself, you want to grow your brand, you want to grow your idea, you know, you can't do it by yourself, but you don't really know where to go to find help. And, and to even ask for help. So this realization that you do, you're allowed to ask for help and that you should ask for help is one thing. And then finding the right person that, like you say, feels as strongly about whatever it is that you're creating as you do, it can be so difficult. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, when you're, you're talking to clients or if you know, if, 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 if you're just speaking generally to people that might be thinking about hiring someone, what are some of the things that they should be thinking about as they start to kind of form ideas about, you know, the next steps in growing their brand or their career? For sure. I think that in any situation where you, you decide to hire someone, um, I think it's super important for you to, to assess whether or not they have the same values and beliefs as you. Um, you know, and that's super, super important when you are hiring a PR person is this is PR person live and breathe my brand, you know, like maybe you're about to produce and release a horror film and, um, and the PR person that you're speaking to doesn't watch horror movies, then, you know, it sort of prevents you from being able to get to the next level where you want to be, where, um, you know, this PR person is going to be responsible to handle your baby. And so it's super crucial that you are aligned with that individual. And, and that you both have the same interests and that they live and breathe your brand because that helps you elevate um, your brand uh, through that conversation um, and, and the ways they have um, conversations about your brand. Um, in, in particular, this manifests itself when, 
when you look at, um, I guess, you know, P the best way to assess it is really looking at the types of um, publications that they follow and also um, the the work that they've done in the past and, and I, as I mentioned, their general interest. I guess another factor in terms of assessing whether or not, you know, hi, like how to hire the next person, who to hire and, and what to do next, I think as well, it's super crucial to look at, um, you know, the, the, your style in terms of um, how you want to get your product out there and how, um, what types of styles these PR folks have, because not all PR people are the same. And I would say that, you know, I'm not your typical, um, you know, PR person from the financial district, which is so funny because my office is now on Bay Street. But, um, but like, you know, I would say that I'm a very, like, you know, progressive, modern um, and youthful and energetic PR person. And, and you know, PR people have this bad reputation of, of you know, being thick-skinned, rude people. And I'm all for, like, connecting with vibes and good energy and really helping people get to where they want to be. So so I think it's, like, a combination of all of those factors, first off. And then, of course, you want to look at in terms of, like, you know, strategy and and sort of the tech, the technicalities of PR and how this PR person will get, achieve the work that they promise, you know, they will achieve. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm curious, like for those that maybe aren't ready to take the steps for to like actually hire somebody, what would you recommend that they start to sort of think about as they start to build their brand themselves? Like what are some tips that you could give to like an artist that's maybe starting to put together a portfolio to kind of get their name out there? What would be some things that they should be you know, looking at or doing to help themselves. Yeah. I mean, Marina, we talked about this before where, you know, life is PR, right? And, and I think that one of the most crucial components of, of just preparing for, for, um, to, to launch your, your product or your film or your artwork out there, um, is, is to really consider that, you know, First off, acknowledging that everything about life and how you present yourself and the opportunities that come and appear right before you, that is PR. And so you have to look at every single opportunity as though you are have that one chance to be able to promote yourself in the best possible way. And so I think that today we live in such, I would say, you know, it's a very competitive landscape and as well as we are privileged to be able to create our own platforms, right? And so the, the best way is to, you know, I would say launch your social media accounts and, um, and engage with the community, right? And see where you think your potential audience is living and, and connect with them. Um, another strategy is to really look at digital owned platforms. So whether it be creating your own website, um, or even launching, um, specific, you know, channels to be able to promote your work, whether that be through YouTube, TikTok is an amazing platform that a lot of my clients are moving into, um, even using social media as a platform, as a content hub for, for your work. Um, so there are tons of stuff to do and it's about as well, you know, thinking creatively, right? Um, I think the most successful PR campaigns are the ones that, you know, often don't require a lot of, um, a big budget and a lot of folks. And so that to me is what really makes that big impact is sort of that grassroots connection that you have. And, and that's something that I learned early on in my career is that, um, is that you don't have to have a big name in order to sort of get started. Um, you, you 
you have yourself and that's good enough. And as long as you have your story, that will resonate with people. That is such amazing amazing intel and i have another question that's kind of related to this yeah. because i think this happens a lot with people that you know they they have an idea this is what they're going to do they start and then you know you're halfway down that path and you realize that this is not exactly right for you how do you shift like how does that pivot what does that pivot look like do you throw away everything you've created and start from scratch do you actually pivot what you already have to this new direction that you're following? What, what's your recommendation as, as somebody that kind of works in this space? Um, that is such a good question. And I love these questions because I would say that I am probably the prince of pivoting. <laughs> because my life has just been a constant state of pivoting. Um, but, you know, I think like the first step in, in acknowledging that, I think um, I think pivoting is not, there's nothing negative or, or horrible about having to, you know, come to a conclusion or uh, a conclusion during your entire career journey and realizing, oh, wait, you know, I think I got to switch things up a little bit. Pivoting is sort of the most crucial component of just running your career, especially, you know, when I speak to my clients and, and we're working on PR campaigns, it's so important for us to really pivot when we need to, when you find yourself sort of at that creative block or, or sort of, um, those barriers that prevent you from getting to where you want to be. Right. And, and I think that pivoting the best time to pivot is when you start to realize that you've, you've done everything you could. Um, and you're still at, you're still at that, um, that barrier that you're still at that blockade. And, and so it's so crucial for, for you to adapt to, to the, to the, first of all, the community and as well as what the market is really looking for. And then acknowledging how can I take, you know, the very essence of my own voice and, and my vision and my, and my goals and, and still pivot with the, with the, with the economy and the market. And, and it's a, it's a challenging, I guess, process for a lot of clients because, you know, oftentimes you start with something and it's your baby, right? And, and it's so hard for you to actually acknowledge and say, okay, I need to switch things up a little bit. Um, and, and I would say that it's, you know, it's a process, right? When you're, when you are sort of working towards launching, whether it be a film or a TV show, um, you have to look at it um, as though it's this journey for you to launch um, your to launch your baby that everyone will love, or that you know your particular audience will love. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think the, I I love that question because it really derives it asks you um, you know a lot of people have to sit and reflect on what their actual intent and goals are and that's something that's super important with that process of pivoting and do you find that audiences are um, more open to those pivots because they kind of show the creative as like a human being like there there's this mentality that you know you followed the journey and you've seen this person kind of grow into who they have become. So there's almost like a, it's almost like a breaking of the fourth wall. You get like that trans, that look at that, the inner workings of somebody's brain. You know, I, I think that, you know, it's like kind of 50, 50, a lot of people are, are, are resistant to change. Um, and it's just human nature, right? Like having to adapt to that change is a lot of work. Like why, 
why move into a different space when um, when you can just be com- comfortable in, in your own in your own zone, right? And that's the same thing with content and work, and and so people oftentimes be there can you are susceptible to that criticism, um, but as long as you have as I mentioned, you're aligned with your own story and you know yourself best, there will be people who will align themselves with you. And that's sort of what helps you get to sort of, um, to, to, to get you to those PR goals. Right. And so, um, you know, you kind of see that when, when you pitch a story that's very niche and someone just genuinely and, um, genuinely tells their story, um, about their own experience in launching a film or, or even a product. Right. I mean, I love those stories. I love hearing someone talk about how they struggle to get to X, Y, Z, or, or, you know, I think even like, you know, Ava DuVernay, who is a filmmaker in Hollywood, she began as a publicist and, um, ended up, you know, directing some of the most amazing films in Hollywood. And and I love those stories. I love the stories of pivoting and struggle and, and just, you know, coming to this conclusion of like, it's time for me to change. I think this touches on something that I think is super interesting that I'd like to dig into a little bit more with you. And this is the, the, the this concept of creativity and, you know, pitching stories and finding angles. And this is something that I think we, we all struggle with, you know, finding an in to like anything. When you sit down to start like creating, um, um, you know, PR campaigns and, and, and are developing pitching ideas. What's your process? Like, what are you, what are you actually like actively, how does your brain sort of put these things together? (laughs) Chaos. It is chaos. (laughs) Um, No, I, I think that, you know, I love um, the, the process of pitching. That's, that's probably why I'm in this business. Right. And I think it's, um, I talk about it, um, about this a lot with my clients and as well as my team members, where we are in the business of the creative. Yes. Um, because you know, there are going to be a lot of people and a lot of media outlets out there who will essentially say no to you. You know, they will say, no, we have read that story before. Um, no, this is not an, an interesting story. You know, there was this one experience I had where I had secured, um, you know, a story with, with an, a media outlet and they had to, um, decline because, um, Brexit was happening. And it was, it was sort of this process of, you know, we had to pivot, right. And, and then we had to sort of find a way to really tie in Brexit into the storyline. And so, um, that process of, of pitching is so dependent on your ability to a pivot, find that, you know, the, the appropriate press angle, and as well as, um, doing your work in terms of how we can structure, um, you know, additional research into, um, what we're pitching and on top of that being creative with that storyline. So it's this like mix of like, that's why I call it chaotic because, you know, you kind of, especially my junior team members, I do have to sort of, it's kind of like, you know, I tell them, I'm so sorry, but you're going to be thrown into the deep end, but don't worry, we're all swimming with you, you know? Um, so that's sort of the process of pitching it is, is it, it is chaos. So, and sometimes is it a little bit of like just throwing things out there and seeing what sticks? For sure. Yeah. It's like spaghetti, um, and checking if it sticks and if it sticks, then, you know, it's ready. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> 
do you, do, I'm wondering if like I, I, I do you ever not really, really recycle, but do you ever uh, go back to ideas that maybe didn't work, you know, with one project, but they find kind of new life with the new project? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think like nothing is off the table when it comes to sort of um, pitching a good story. Right. And and sometimes it might be, you know, I always tell my clients too, a no now doesn't necessarily mean a no, you know, next month. Right. And so um, I try to find that. Yes. Even when people say no. And and so it starts with, you know, again, as I mentioned, going back to the drawing board and looking at that story. Sometimes, you know, when you do pitch a story and someone says no to you, it, it might just be because you just haven't thought, sort of uh, thought the story through, you know, enough. And so, you know, you do have, there are, you know, um, I guess, we are lucky sometimes when a reporter comes back to us and says, you know, that's not really my beat, but you know, how about X, Y, Z? And and that helps you sort of regroup and figure out what we can do. And then there are also those occasions where we might not necessarily get the luxury of a reporter telling us that they might just say no. Um, and, and so we have to get into the habit of, of reconfiguring and figuring out what that story is. Do you keep like notebooks or notes on your phone when you get like inspired? Do you sometimes just like keep ideas that might not work for anything right now, but that might be useful down the road? Or do they just kind of sit in the back of your head and then eventually they'll manifest as something? <laughs> I wish it was like that. I wish it was easy like that. I um I mean it's a it's an eclectic of, you know, every morning I do I do scan the press and all of the major media outlets and, and I actually encourage my team members to to do the same. And so we go through this, you know, collective effort to actually scan the press and see what's going on. And and through that process you might actually get some um some interesting stories, some interesting headlines. And so we circulate that through uh what we call the daily report in my firm. And and this daily report actually covers pretty much what's going on. And that helps us with the with the creative process when pitching and then as well you know because we are in the business of representing entertainment clients um i actually encourage my team to actually watch content on a daily basis because it helps you again um generate sort of those conversations that you um that you might want to have with reporters with the public and even your clients and and you can actually find some hidden gems there in terms of stories oh that's such a great tip um we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, using social media and some of these other tools to kind of promote yourself and promote your brand. And these things are changing all the time. The the algorithms are constantly in flux. New things pop up. You never really know what the next big thing is going to be. How do you stay sort of connected with everything that's happening in that sphere and, and, and like just stay on top of all the changes that are constantly changing how you do your job for sure yeah i mean it is it is the wild wild west out there mm -hmm. um and and i would say the best way to really tackle this sort of i guess i like to call it the social media paradox um is is that you know you want to approach it as though you know it provides you with the information that you need i think like for from a pr standpoint like you know, my firm, we heavily rely on PR for information and information is, is, 
essentially key to our lives, right? And so, you know, when we go on Twitter, for example, or Instagram, we're looking at content that people are talking about on a daily basis and how it pertains to what's going on today. Um, you know, it also helps us um, understand who the key people are in terms of, you know, influencers, um, you know, uh, reporters, um, and, um, and as well as general media, right? I think that when you approach social media from a standpoint of it being another tool in the toolkit, it becomes sort of, you become empowered to actually, um, you know, not feel the pressure of, of the numbers, right? Um, and rather figure out how we can work through that data and in many ways um, play the game, right? So um, it is, it's a lot though. I, I mean, social media today is absolutely and astronom- um, astronomically different from when it, you know, where it was 10 years ago. And, and even where it was like last year, it seems to be changing absolutely. constantly. Yeah. So do, you, do you have someone on your team that's kind of like the social media expert? Maybe you have like the TikTok person or the, the Instagram person, or do you all just kind of manage all of it? We we do have one particular person who is in charge of our digital and our media relations. So really looking and scanning through, you know, um, reporters who have migrated into the space and as well as influencers and content creators who have become predominant key players in, in, in the area of of just content creation. But I would also say that, you know, I've I've you know, my firm is really um, heavy heavily influenced by technology and um we often challenge ourselves to actually be part of that conversation by in you know engaging in social media um or even being you know developing our skills in content creation so whether that be production um i actually have um two people on my team who have actually gone on to um they're also learning how to um how to code which is something that um i I'm so excited about because we are moving into this direction of, you know, as you mentioned, the algorithm. Um, and, but it's also great to sort of be in the space where people can now develop their skills and, and we're not restricted to just the traditional forms of media. That's so interesting. Is that something that you're always kind of looking for new avenues where you can kind of break in that are unexpected? Yeah, I think, you know, today it's been, um, we're constantly looking at different techniques um, to get the word out there, right? And our goal is to essentially disseminate information um, so we can get people to say, I want to buy that or I want to go see that. Um, and, And so through this process, um, you know, there have been challenges with traditional media um, in terms of um, getting coverage for clients, right? And so we're always looking at innovative ways to really get people's attention. And I think that's what's so exciting about this sort of is this field is that, you know, there's a little bit of, of psychology in it and, and as well as, um, I would say, statistics and data and then as well as storytelling from a journalistic point of view, right? And, um, and then as well, we're always... Um, making sure that ethics and, um, you know, just ethics is at the forefront of our work. Um, And that's something that I love, absolutely. Can you expand a little bit more on that, this idea of being ethical in the work that you do? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, PR, as I mentioned, is sort of we have this bad, bad reputation of being liars, right? And and as well as sort of spinning things in a, in a um, in such a way that um, we're we're benefiting, I guess, capitalism, right? And and I would say, you know, PR for us and the work that we carry on, um, we essentially do our best to a, um, you know, every single project that we take on and, and every campaign that we run, um, that it is deeply rooted in integrity. Um, so we're always constantly looking at journalistic integrity. Um, we're looking at making sure that it speaks to the right communities and that we're protecting not only just the brand that we're representing, but also the communities that it's speaking to. Do you ever say no to brands because they just don't align with your values? Do you ever pass up clients because you just, it's just not going to work? The, the, the things, they, they just don't align. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do have to unfortunately say say no to a couple of of clients because they, they just aren't a fit, and and sometimes I do have to sit down with them and 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 actually be honest with them too. Is that you know um you know I'm I may not be a fit for them as well, right? Um, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, and and I think that's what's so important about just representing the right people because you know it's it's like. I'm, if you're looking for someone who is, like, well-versed in, like, cars, like, I'm not your person, you know, and, and I'm, I'm so open about that, but, like, like, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, you'll, I'm happy to refer those people, right? But, but it's super crucial that we align with those values, and, and that's, that's why um, I do the work that I do is I actually focus on elevating, you know, marginalized voices and marginalized communities and as well as um, brands that may not necessarily have the opportunity to represent themselves. I think this is so amazing because it sounds to me like, you know, your work is clearly very personal to you and the, the your clients are an extension of you and the work that you do. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, a lot of the, the clients that I represent today have some sort of backstory and it's so crazy, you know, when I think about, you know, I'm currently working with Nelvana, which is this um, this Canadian-based animation studio and they're known for um, shows such as Max and Ruby, um, uh, Franklin the Turtle, the Hardy Boys, and it's so, um, you know, it's so amazing to sort of have that aha moment or, or sort of that fan moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm like working on a project that like, where, you know, I'm working with a, a team that like basically released TV shows that I watched as a kid. Um, and, and that to me is that sentimental value, you know, and I've worked with a lot of, a lot of filmmakers and talent. And, and to me, um, I guess uh, the, the fan, the fangirl moments are actually with the products and, and the teams that have actually had that sentimental value or that carry that sentimental value that I had um, growing up as a kid. And I have a question about this because, you know, you do work with people that are in the public eye. And I, I can only imagine that some folks can be kind of difficult. How do you deal with difficult clients maybe not so much now maybe maybe more in your past life where you were you know working at a studio with clients that you didn't really you couldn't really pick but you know it's something that we all have in our daily lives we have to (laughs) interact with people that we may not get along with how what are some insights that you can provide on how to kind of navigate difficult work relationships for sure I mean you know what like that's 
you know, I, even even as someone who who gets to pick and choose their clients today, I still deal with a lot of difficult people. Um, again, they they sort of manifest in different ways, right? Whether it be you know you're on an you're at an event and and some um, a patron you know um, attends and and they are they happen to be very aggressive, and so I think that you know in in just general terms of of dealing with difficult people and difficult clients or whether it be press or even colleagues in the space, it's, it's really coming from a place of, you know, as long as you're being respectful and, and you're not sort of, um, misaligning or, or, um, you know, ignoring your own values and your, um, and your own goals. Um, I think that, you know, those are things that I've learned in my career to sort of not necessarily dismiss, but to just sort of treat them with a little, um, with a little bit more compassion. Right. Um, I think that when I, when I do encounter those difficult people, it's actually when I actually become more soft-spoken and, um, and actually listen to them a little bit more because there's sort of that uh, subliminal messaging where you start to realize, Oh, this is not about me at all. You know? And if it is, then, you know, I mean, that's where you sort of, um, assess the situation, right? Maybe, maybe they do have something, um, maybe you have done something, um, that they were upset with and, and you sort of have to clear that. Um, and so when that does happen, I often, as I mentioned, it's really that active listening and, and really sitting with that a little bit. And I think like, you know, this is pretty, pretty standard customer service really, right? Like if you think about it, even just from like a basic level of like, you're starting your first job as a teenager working at McDonald's, for example, um, you're, you're, you know, I guess I, okay, just a disclaimer, like I've never worked at McDonald's as a teenager, but I would assume that you would be told to, to sort of listen to your customers. And, and that's sort of where I come from is just sort of that active listening and kindness. I love that active listening. That's not something we do enough of, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you'd be surprised, right? I think it's just sometimes it's so helpful to just sit there and be like, okay, I hear you, you know? Um, and that's sometimes when, you know, even with upset clients, that's all they want to hear is they just want to be validated. You know, you're holding your hand, you're holding someone's hand throughout this entire process. Uh, and oftentimes a very foreign process, really. A lot of these clients have never done PR before, have never spoken to press before. And, and you have to walk them through that entire process. When, I think about PR. I often think about, you know, the red carpet, lights, cameras, um, you know, people behind the scenes that are kind of orchestrating this entire thing. I know there's much more to it than that, but that's kind of, I think for a lot of people, that's kind of what they think of when they think of PR. How has the pandemic affected not just the business, but also how you work? Yeah. I mean, you know, the... You're so spot on with with just you know people and folks often thinking that you know PR is this glamorous um, glamorous field where you know you're rubbing shoulders with the, the most famous people and um, and and you're partying all the time and it's the complete opposite <laughs> I would say um, and and with that process the pandemic has actually affected you know the PR industry especially in entertainment PR where we we primarily had in-person events, we have in-person screenings, and we had to really shift into the digital space where, you know, screenings are now online, we're running more panels online, and, um, and as well as, you know, um, the, 
a lot of the publications have had to make some cuts. And so now there's a, a really, you know, big appetite for coverage, but very few people able to cover. And so, you know, you kind of had... Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had to sort of pivot into this digital space. And now we're kind of really ready to move back into this hybrid model. Um, but now people are more efficient in how they achieve things, right? And so um, I would say that, you know, as well, like, changes in the PR industry, like, for example, in my business, we no longer just rely on P like our clients don't rely on us for just PR. We're, we're, we're also part of the strategic process when it comes to planning a launch or planning a brand, um, a new product release, or even just a film release. Um, and so we're now at that table with them talking strategy, talking, you know, whether it be distribution strategy or, or even just, as I mentioned, a product launch. And so that's so exciting about this entire process with with I guess the effects of COVID is that we're we're no longer just you know in one area of traditional PR but now we've expanded and and we're really working um, across various areas at least in my business. That's so exciting I, I and I wanted to ask you about you know the growth of your business and being a business owner and somebody that is now responsible, not just for themselves, but also for, you know, a bunch of other people that rely on, on for you sure. and the work that you do. Is that scary? It is terrifying, <laughs> but it is, it's so, it's like, you know, as an entrepreneur and as someone who runs a PR firm, there's something exciting about, you know, people who believe in your work and, and your client's work and um, and being able to nurture and also grow their careers. You know, I'm so committed to sort of helping my team grow and be their best selves in their careers. Um, and whether that be through, you know, statement strategies or, you know, they decide to go on a different journey. I've seen so many of, you know, my my former um, colleagues really go on to do amazing things and as well as come back as well after taking hiatus in PR. Um, and so there's something exciting about that. And, and I think when you approach it that way, you begin to sort of see sort of the abundance that comes along with it. Um, and that's sort of what I've seen the past two years, really. If you could give yourself a piece of advice, knowing, having the, the, the career that you've had and where you are today, what would that piece of advice be? You know, I would say we're all on a floating rock um, in space and to enjoy the process. <laughs> um, life is so short to be upset about, you know, the little things or even just the confrontations that you experience in life. And I would, I would focus on the wins. And even if it's the smallest wins, those are going to be the biggest ones when you, uh, down the road, when you, when you sit down and talk to, you know, people at coffee or your friends and family, but yes, also the component of being a on a floating rock in space. I mean, it, it's so helpful to sort of draw yourself back to that reality that we are just, you know, a speck of granola in yogurt. And that was our conversation with Matthew Celestial. You can find out more about Matthew, his business, and the great brands that he's working with on his website at statementworldwide.com. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits, as well as additional production support by Michael Edland. For more about SparkCG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.